This is uh, some excerpts from Exodus 33 and 34. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first ones which you broke. But be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to the Mount Sinai. Present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain, and no one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flock or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut the two tablets of stone like the Lord commanded him, and he took them in his hand. And then the Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth. And he worshiped. Lord, we thank you for pursuing us for when there's a separation, even a, a pillar in front of the door, that you um, continue to take the steps to open the way for us to worship you. And we thank you for revealing yourself and making yourself known so that we can worship you. Teach us in your word tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't that a great passage? I love the I love the idea of Joshua, a young man who didn't want to leave, just sitting there. It reminds me of um, Samuel um, when he was 
um, with Eli, and he would actually says he slept near where the ark was. Um, something about that, that youthful, just hunger um, for God's graciousness. And yet we also have this, this incredible presence of God, and yet it's a, a presence that's unapproachable still. We've been uh, moving through this uh, mini-series, uh, kind of unpacking the first part of our service, which is gathering. We're here at God's invitation, at God's initiative, um, and for what purpose? And the purpose is to worship. And we're, week by week here, have been trying to discern the true nature of worship, um, and we're just adding a little piece each week. Um, we're moving towards this definition, which I had given before, that true worship is our participation through the Spirit in the Son's communion with the Father. We're, we're going to see that we're invited into a relationship, and our participation is actually called worship. Two weeks ago, we looked at Revelation 4 and 5, this worship sing in heaven, and John experiences what he was first made for, first created for. He, he, he had that experience like, this is what I was made for, as he stands in heaven in this great scene of worship. And we saw that the, the door stood open in heaven, and that there was complete free access, unhindered, for him to enter in. Stands open. And we ask the question, will we, will we stand outside or will we enter in as he's made the way? And last week we looked at this fact that Adam and Eve were, were created worshiping. Their, their very being, all that they did, everything they did, every moment was an act of worship because they were, they were made that way. They were the image of God with no hindrance to a relationship with him. So everything they did was worship. But then it was lost and there was separation. There was a break in it. Um, as they began to seek other avenues of worship. And then we, we trace this plan of God of wanting to redeem worship again, to redeem us back to the kind of relationship and ability to worship that he had first made us for. And we looked at God's relentless pursuit to restore us as worshipers um, because that's, he wants us to experience what we were first made for but also because God longs for us in our relationship with him. And to, when, when Adam lost that connection and Eve lost that connection, God lost something as well, and he wants to restore that. And we looked at the question, I mean, Jesus sacrificed everything to restore it. And the question was, do, do I long for it like that? Do I long for that relationship, that closeness, that connection the way God himself does. In the next two weeks, um, our titles here has been gathered into the Trinity. Some of the music has reflected that. I've made mentions of it. We really haven't jumped into that part of it yet. Um, next week and the week after, we will go neck deep into this issue of what is the Trinity um, and to look at the inseparable connection between um, actually some theological reflection on what is the Trinity and our action in worship and how it shows up um, for us. Um, by the way, theological reflection all by itself doesn't do much, but if it leads to action and change and a, a knowledge of God that translates into our heart and actions, it matters and makes a difference. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do that in these next two weeks um, because it, it, it'll bring the basis for some biblically infused action, particularly in our understanding of what the nature of worship is. 
And then in our final week, which is three weeks away, we're going to do a little kind of a different service. We're going to try to put it all into some practice together um, as we gather. Today, I want to look at very, very simply a pattern of worship that's seen in Scripture, um, a pattern of worship that's seen in Scripture. And I think it applies both to our everyday stuff and it applies to our gathered service. Um, And that pattern is revelation and response. God reveals himself, we respond. That's fairly simple. Um, They both start with R. It makes it even easier. Um, There's actually a third component, and it's reception, because um, what we're going to see is that we actually worship, um, are enabled to do so by the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be receptive to his work in us so we can actually offer up worship. And, but since we're going to look at that, the Trinity, I'm not going to spend time on that today. But Ephesians 2.8 says, Through the Son, we have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so it's impossible to bring worship to God except by the enabling of the Spirit. And then we'll see the, the mediating priesthood of Christ for us. But we'll look at that next week. Today we're just going to look at this dual thing of revelation and response. I I once heard it, um, somebody said that the way you begin your gathered worship, like our gathering tonight, the first thing that's said tells people something about what the church's understanding of worship is. What's the first thing that is said speaks something about what we understand worship um, to be. so we commented on this a while back, was this a year ago or something, or a series that said, if we come together, and I say it all the time, but um, said, welcome, right? We're glad you're here. We hope that um, you have a great experience worshiping with us. All good stuff, by the way. But what does that say about understanding of worship? If that's the first words that are said. Something about us. We become the focal point. It's something for us. Um, is it about God, or is it about us? Or else, um, many churches begin like this. It's, it's, a, it's a shout, right, up front as the lights go down. And it's, come on, church. Are you ready to worship? And we go right to it. And um, that says something as well. When the first words, there are first words. Um, can we really worship if we haven't first heard from God? Now, if, 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 uh, if as a group we've been faithful all week, about listening to him and looking to him, we may be ready to do that. Um, or perhaps it's better to read a passage of scripture that's, that exalts God and declares him, and then we can sing those songs. But um, what we first say can say something about um, our understanding of worship. Our thesis today is that um, God initiates and we respond. God reveals something of himself first, and then um, we're, which then draws out a response from us. Um, I don't have to manufacture a response if I've really heard God speak, if he's really shown himself up, if he really revealed himself in a way, it'll elicit a response from my own heart. It's called worship. If, if we reverse the order and we're speaking first, initiating, the question is, can we really worship if I'm going to bring something first, then I'm going to listen to God. Or is worship always a response to the revelation of God? And if so, um, we need to give God the first word in what we do. Um, it's a biblical pattern. So today's simple. What I'm going to do, I'm going to do a very 
um, a fairly short biblical overview of a number of different places that will show us that pattern over and over and over again um, to see what it is. And then, then we'll consider um, if, if we embrace that, that God reveals first and then we respond, how does that impact our days and how does it impact when we gather here and, and should it? So we'll just walk through these. Um, I'll have you open your Bible in a couple of places, but some of these I'm just going to just kind of briefly tell you the story. Actually, I think it starts out with Adam and Eve. Um, God creates Adam in the garden, and then God uh, creates Eve, right? And when Adam looks at Eve, what does he see? He sees the image of God. He sees something of the image of God that he had not seen before. And his response is worship. You read the passage, he celebrates. He celebrates it. I think God revealed himself in the creation of Eve, and Adam responds with worship in his voice of praise about what God had done. Abraham, God initiates and chooses Abraham. He reveals a plan for the ages to him. He makes a covenant with Abraham, and what does Abraham do? He builds an altar. He builds an altar and he worships God. And that happens several times in Adam's life. We have the, the story of Moses. Um, interesting, the one we didn't read, that Moses' first encounter is he goes on the mountain and God meets him in a burning bush. And God initiates a response by declaring his name. He tells him who he is. When he reveals his name, he reveals his character. And Moses' response is what? Remember remember? Takes his shoes off and he bows down on the ground. Um, and then God begins to unpack more of what his plan is, reveals more of what he's doing and Moses' response, once again, is worship, and he worships by obeying, by doing what God had asked him to. The, uh, the passage that we just, um, I just read um, is full of this revelation and response. So God comes down in a cloud, and he's revealing his stuff to Moses, and the people are responding by worshiping and standing and paying attention and listening. This, this great story of, of Moses and this dialogue with God and God says, I'm going to show you myself. And so, I mean, I don't know how God's hand covers him, if God's spirit, whatever that means. Somehow, he shielded Moses from seeing fully face-to-face all of his glory. Even in then, Moses was shining when he comes down, right? He, he was reflecting it. But God initiates in that passage. And it says, he's, it says the Lord himself in that declared his name. And then he goes on, he's gracious and loving kindness and slow to anger and he he declares the truth about who he is and again what's Moses response um, the older version say he says Moses made haste to bow low I love that he, he just kind of automatic response was to bow down and worship before God as God revealed himself Isaiah 6 that John read God initiates his vision and he brings Isaiah into his throne room, very reminiscent of what we heard in Revelation 4 and 5 with John. And there's this revelation, this uncovering of who God is. He, he sees it. It's, there's these angels that are worshiping, and there's this throne, and there's lightning, and he, he sees this picture of God. God reveals himself in this throne room. And Isaiah is just taking it in. And he responds with confession, and then he responds with humility. And then after he does that, God actually reveals more. He's got a plan for Isaiah. He's doing something. He's doing a work, and he uncovers this plan. And then again, after revealing that, Isaiah responds, and Isaiah's response is like Moses before. It's obedience. The the obedience becomes his worship. He says, I'll go. I'll do what you want me to do. 
Um, he submits and obeys. Jump ahead to the New Testament, and there's, uh, by the way, there's all sorts of them all over the place. Um, you can go through this, we're going to go back to a couple of them, but you go through the Psalms, many of the Psalms begin with the character and the nature of God, and they end with praises and thanksgivings to him, response. Mary, in the second chapter of Luke, um, God comes through an angel with a revelation, and he reveals something about himself. He reveals his plan to bring the Messiah, and it's going to be brought through her um, and what he's coming there to do. And she responds with obedience. She says yes to it and submission. And then she sings this song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. How in the world did that come from probably a teenage girl who is suddenly face-to-face with an angel, who reveals a plan and a revelation himself that's going to be a difficult one. And this is what comes out, just incredible beauty of praise and worship that's spontaneously brought out of her life because God revealed himself, and she listened, she paid attention, and it brought a response of worship from her. Several scenes of the disciples, it seems like things happen to them whenever they're in a boat. Um, over and over again. We have the, the one um, story of the disciples are in the boat and the storm comes and they're frightened and they're, 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 God's power is being revealed across the waves and it frightens them. And then suddenly they discover that God is in the boat with them because Jesus stands up and shows himself for who he is and he speaks peace to the waves and they get quiet and they worship. They worship. He's, he's, he's revealed through creation. He's revealed through the power of Jesus. Another one where, uh, if you remember the other story there, uh, in the boat, and Jesus says, put your net over there, and they catch this, all these fish, which would be exciting, right? Um, and, and what does Peter say? He says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. That's his response. The revelation of God and his character and the response is confession. And we have the, the scene later on after the resurrection. Again, they're out in the boat. Jesus is casting over there, and they get all these, all these fish again. Remember what Peter does there? He takes out his clothes. He dives in the water, and he swims to shore as fast as he can. That's an act of worship. He just wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. On the road to the Emmaus, Jesus comes along. They don't recognize him. He initiates contact. He starts asking them questions. And then he unpacks probably the greatest story of revelation in the whole Bible. He, he, he reveals to their heart all through the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. This is, he gives them the whole plan while they're walking. And then he reveals himself when he breaks the bread. And it says that their hearts burned. And their response was to go tell. That's an act of worship. Respond in worship as he's revealed himself to them. Psalm 100, and actually we'll put it up on the screen. Um, Interesting how it shows the same thing. Psalm 100, if you read verses 3 and 5, it's the revelation of truth. It says this, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. 
We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Think of how much truth is revealed in those two verses about who God is. Gives him his name. Tells us where we came from. Tells us who we belong to. Tells us what God is like. He's good. Talks about his love and his mercy and his faithfulness. God reveals his, his character. And what's the response? Verses 4 and verse 2, I just put them out of order here, but enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. What's the response to entering? Giving thanks, shouting out praises, declaring his name, letting it expand to all the earth, serving him with a glad heart, coming over and over again into his presence and singing. God reveals himself. David responds with, with thanksgiving. Listen to this. I'm going to read out. You want to turn to it, you can. I'm going to read Psalm 19, the whole psalm. Psalm 19. And, and look for the revelation of who God is and look for a response. Starting with verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims all of his handiwork. Day by day his speech is poured out, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through the whole earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, he runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and it's circuit to the very end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What is he doing? God is revealing himself through creation. It shouts, even in the dimness of what sin has caused, it still declares his, the truth about God. And then he goes on, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. What's next? God reveals himself through what? His word. Over and over again, it says here his word is perfect, it's sure, it's right, endures forever. It's something to be desired more than gold itself. God reveals himself through creation, and then he says God reveals himself through his word. So how should we respond to his revelation in creation and the word? Well, he goes on, verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How does he respond? He listens. He heeds the warning to his own heart. There's obedience here. 
And then his very words, he wants them to be marked by worship. Revelation, then response. And interesting, these, almost every one of these, the, the response is not created, it just happens. Because they paid so much attention. It's like whenever God's presence shows up, something happens. People respond. They may run, scream, and they may go away, and they may die. All sorts of things happen, but there's always a response. Revelation response. God must be known before he can be worshipped. And the truth is, God cannot be known because he's way transcendent, right? Unless he reveals himself. And he's done through all these different means, uh, the creation and the word and through people and through ultimately through the incarnation of Jesus being here. John Calvin says this, the proclamation of God's praises is always promoted by the teaching of the gospel. For as soon as God becomes known to us, his infinite praises resound in our hearts and ears. And then one writer, his name is Phil Butin, in his book on the Trinity adds this, the initiatory downward movement of Christian worship begins in the Father's gracious and free revelation of the divine nature to the church through the Son by means of the Spirit. In more concrete terms, this takes place in the proclamation of the word according to Scripture by the empowerment and the illumination of the Spirit. The upward movement of human response and worship focused around prayer and the celebration of the sacraments is also fundamentally motivated by God. Human response, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, arises from the faith that it has its source in the indwelling Holy Spirit. In that spirit, prayer, devotion, and obedience are offered to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Worship is always a dialogue between God and his people in which God speaks first. Another writer says this, the ascending movement of the ceremonies and sacrifices of our gathering is only the second beat of the rhythm of which the first is the condescending grace of God himself who indicates and gives to man the means of serving and worshiping him. Revelation first, um, and then response. Revelation and response. Uh, by the way, that takes the pressure off in some ways. We don't come to create something. We don't have to come to placate God with something that we've done well. Um, we get to come to listen and the Holy Spirit generates worship in our hearts, a worshipful response. A little side note, um, God is always revealing himself. It's not like he does sometimes and does not other times. He's always doing that. So creation is always speaking out the revelation of God. His word is always speaking. Tozer says, God is always speaking. You'll hear it if you've got the receptivity to listen to it. Just stop and pay attention. God is always revealing himself. If that's true, if God's always revealing, the more I pay attention to that constant revelation of God, the more what happens in my life, I'm constantly worshiping because the Holy Spirit will bring response to him. So when I'm paying attention, I can be worshiping in our work, in our conversations, in our travels, and all the things that we're doing become, as we talked about just last week, become acts of worship because they're responding to God's constant revelation. Um, whether it's you know, you, you see an athlete do something that is just like incredible and going, that's, what, that was amazing. 
and it, we're drawn to not how great that person they are. It's like God made people incredible. The things they do and the things they create are just incredible, and it can elicit worship in our hearts. Um, I, I like watching cooking shows, and and uh, I aspire to be some great chef someday, and I'm not, I can't, but um, there's times when you see somebody put something together, and it's, it's, it's an art. And part of me wells up and going, gosh, God, that is so awesome. It is so awesome what people can do because you've created them to do that. That can be a, a response of worship. God reveals himself through so many different things. Our day can be marked by worship and all we do if we listen first. As a matter of fact, Tozer says, if we're not worshiping God or at least moving towards worshiping God every day of the week, we're not going to worship him when we show up here. We're going to be trying to fight to get there, and that's not the way it works. Our gathering together each week can be marked with the power and the presence of God as we talked about these last two weeks. If we would listen and then respond. Um, our, our gather time, which is just one part of worship, um, every element should be designed for us to help listen to God's revelation and then respond. So even today, our call to worship was Ephesians chapter 1, very brief, just God's word telling us the truth about who we are, and then we're able to respond as we invite, we say, God, come here, be our peace, be our invitation, um, we're waiting on you to speak first. And then we heard, we heard scripture again, uh, this, this gorgeous revelation of Isaiah 6, and what's our response? Have mercy on us in that place, come and show up here. And then it, it turned into lifting them up and praising them, going, God, you're so good. Then we listen to the word again, and then our response becomes gathered around this table as we give thanks for this, this table that welcomes us in. So what should we do with all this? I would just say this. Let's let have God have the first word and let him have the last word. Um, fortunately, the message is short tonight because I'm sick, so this is working out great. Um, it wasn't planned that way. But let God have the first word and let God have the last word. Let me give you just a couple suggestions how to do that. First of all, in the morning, what's the first thing that happens? Can God actually have the first word in the morning? Very first thing. It could be as simple as sitting on a bed and going, Lord, lead me today. If you're not leading, I will wander. So lead me today. Show me what you're doing. That's it. Simple prayer. Just show me yourself in this day. Show me your presence. Um, let me see your movement in my days so that my day can be a responsive expression of worship, not just another day of work. Simple prayer. It may mean getting up in the morning, the first thing you do is you read your word, which many of you do. Just going to go find that spot, sit down and read it. Um, it could be as simple as taking a little daily bread booklet, which takes literally about 60 seconds to read through it. It has one verse. And I've said, I'm going to let God have the first word today. I've only got a minute, Lord, but you're still getting the first word. If we do that and give him the first word, the response is going to be the trust the Holy Spirit is going to bring worship in what we do. Second of all, in the evening... Um, some people call this a prayer of examine. I've changed up a bit, but I've talked about this before. Um, but a couple things to do. And, and the last thing you do before you fall asleep, um, 
you've, you've finished your conversations, there's nothing else to do, the phone is off, everything else is done. Giving God the last word. A couple things. One, give thanks for the day that it was a gift from God. The day was a gift. No matter how it went, the day was a gift. Second of all, ask, where did I notice God's activity in my day? Where did God show up? Um, interesting, this practice of doing that, we can go for weeks going, uh, I didn't come up with anything. <laughs> you know, okay, yeah, the sunset was pretty, which is a good one. But there's got to be more than that. God's speaking more than just that. But asking that question every day, guess what? You start looking. You start looking. So asking the question, where did I notice God's activity and presence in my day? And then the third question is, where, where did I miss it? Where did I, when did I quit looking for it today? And then the last thing to do as you lay there, I, it takes me like three hours to fall asleep, so this is easy for me. <laughs> I just lay there anyways, but this can have, you can do this in just a matter of minutes. Think through your next day as best as you know what's coming and invite God into it. Invite, Lord, go to that meeting. I'm going to be there. That drive I'm doing tomorrow, that time with my kids, that one class that's so hard to teach, whatever it is, invite God into that place. So give God a first word in the morning. <laughs> give him the first word at the end of the day. Why are we doing that? Because we want to be worshipers. And we become worshipers when we give God the first word. Let him speak first. Let him reveal himself to us, trusting that the Holy Spirit will do that. Our response will be worship. And then lastly, for our gather times together, um, I guess my, my main encouragement would be come ready to hear. We're, we're supposed to give. You know, we offer up our sacrifices of praise. But come ready to hear first. Or just reveal yourself. Come. Part of that means coming on time because if we start out with giving God the first word, we want to hear what that first word is. So come ready to hear. That's, that would all I'd be saying is come ready um, to hear. Uh, Lisa, if you could bring the worship team up. Revelation and response. One of the greatest revelations of God and who he was is, was in, is as he spoke to us, as Hebrews says, in his son. And even this table becomes this, this picture every single week is a picture of how God has revealed himself to us and what he's done in his plan. So let me read this uh, brief introduction to our communion. Um, and then as, as we sing... Um, come to the table, um, give thanks, respond in worship. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We have come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted of God and never forsaken by him. The table tells us that every week. We come to have communion with the same Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. 
The cup of blessing and the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. So we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come and when with unveiled faith we shall behold him, made like unto him in his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unifies us all in one body. So are we to receive the supper in true love, mindful of the communion of the saints. So in response to God's work in Christ and his revelation of himself, as we sing, we gather around the table and we exalt him.